0: Bismillah, Bismillah, walhamdulillah, wa salatu salam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa mawala, amma ba'd. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. How's everybody doing? Alhamdulillah. So today, inshaAllah ta'ala, we are continuing with uh, hadith number 17 from the Arba'een and nawawi This hadith is from Shaddad ibn Aus, radhi ta'ala anhu in which he says that the Prophet mentions... إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَتَبَ الْإِحْسَانَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ فَإِذَا قَتَلْتُمْ فَأَحْسَنُوا الْقَتْلَ وَإِذَا ذَبَحْتُمْ فَأَحْسَنُوا الْذَبْحَ وَالْيُحِدَ أَحَدُكُمْ شَرَفَتَهُ فَلْيُرِيحْ ذَبِيحَتَهُ that the Prophet says, and this is mentioned in Sahih Muslim and other books as well. Indeed, Allah has enjoined excellence on everything. So when you kill, kill in a good way. Try to be excellent in the way that you kill. And when you slaughter, slaughter in a good way. So every one of you should sharpen his knife and let the slaughtered animal die comfortably. So this hadith is broken up into a few parts, the three parts. The first part is inna Allah ihsan ala kulli We talked about Ihsan a little bit more when we were talking about Hadith Jibril, in which the Prophet ﷺ described in detail you know, al-Islam, uh, Iman and Ihsan. So I'm not going to repeat all the points there, if you want to go back over there, it's all recorded, alhamdulillah, you can go back to it, inshallah ta'ala. However, it, just a, a few points, um, there's two meanings that could be understood from this, and both of them can be combined. When the Prophet says, "Inna ala kulli It could mean that Allah has prescribed excellence in all of your actions, and it can also mean Allah has prescribed excellence towards all things. Right, so do whatever you're doing, do it in an excellent way, or whoever you're dealing with, make sure that you're doing you're doing excellence towards that individual, or towards that person, or towards whatever you're dealing with. And so, if you combine both, you get Allah has prescribed excellence in all of your actions and towards all things. So both are uh, come together, and this is reminiscent of the ayah in which Allah Taala mentions, Inna Allah that indeed Allah orders justice and uh, excellence. And what's interesting about this ayah is that there's a few ways of looking at it. Why does Allah ta'ala command us to do first, adl adl first, and then ihsan second? Wallahu alam, one interpretation is that justice is referring to when somebody does wrong towards you, you demand your right. You demand your right. Now, if you want to go a step beyond that and be even better, you can respond to their evil by just simply forgiving them, not even asking for your right. There's another interpretation, a second perspective is what? That... Uh, uh, Al-Adl here is referring to the obligatory deeds And Ihsan is referring to the voluntary deeds The difference between Fard Or you could say Wajib And between Nawafila the, uh, That which is supererogatory or extra Then the Prophet says what? فَإِذَا al فَأَحْسِنُوا القتلى. That And when you kill and by the way, when, this is in the past tense, but it refers to when you intend to kill. It's actually referring to the future tense. This is something that is known in Arabic. When you say, إذا, the idaq, even though the next word, the next verb is in the past tense, it could refer to the future. Well قَتَلْتُمْ And when you intend to uh, kill, al qatla. So what is this referring to? Doing ihsan, doing excellence in the way that you kill. So this could be uh, referring to fighting the enemy in battle. And this can also refer to executing a criminal who is guilty of some sort of capital offense. And we talked about capital offenses before. So, this actually is reflected in the Qur'an. There are a few times in which Allah Ta'ala mentions this uh, fighting and talks about killing in an excellent way, not using those words. Rather, Allah Ta'ala says in Surah Anfal, "Fadribu uh, That Allah Ta'ala says, so strike them upon the necks. And also Allah Ta'ala says in Surah Muhammad, Ayah number 4, ladina So you have or raqaba, you know, a'naq and uh, riqab Either way, it's a, there's actually several There's jid. there's also, uh, I think, itf uh, Also, there's different words there's, I think four different words in, uh, for neck in the uh, Qur'an And so, uh, you know, Arabic is very, very particular, subhanAllah But anyway, the point is that Allah Ta'ala is saying When you fight them, when you fight the enemy Strike them uh, in the neck Now, why would Allah Ta'ala mention this twice? Why is the, What is the emphasis here? Well, one possible understanding Or there's actually, you could say there's two ways of looking at this one is that, you know the expression, uh, work smarter, don't work harder. Work smarter, not harder. So, in other words, when you fight the enemy, try to fight them and strike at them in a way that is the most effective so that you win the battle as quickly as possible. Instead of fighting long, instead of working uh, long and hard for an ex- extended period of time, try to get straight to the point and uh, get the victory. Another perspective is show mercy even to your enemy. That even when you're fighting the enemy, the objective is not to torture them and to maim them and to, you know, cause all sorts of uh, damage. Rather, it is simply to win the battle and to defend yourself in a way that is the most humane possible. And so striking of the neck is the most humane, as we're going to talk about in more detail in the next portion, inshallah. Now, the amazing thing about this hadith is that if excellence is to be kept in mind when dealing with the worst of people, think about this, this is, this is really like one of the key points you want to take away from, from, from tonight's talk, inshallah ta'ala. If excellence is to be kept in mind when you're in the heat of battle Or when you're executing perhaps one of the worst of criminals Then how much more so should you have ihsan and excellence When you're dealing with your wife and with your kids and with your parents And with your siblings and with your friends And with uh, people that you want to give da'wah to and so on and so forth The Prophet is talking about in the worst of circumstances This person wants to kill you This person is trying to attack you And you are probably thinking, you know, fight or flight, you know uh, you know, uh, either kill the guy or get out of there. You're, you're, you're in like survival mode, right? Survival instincts. At that moment, the Prophet ﷺ is saying, What? Don't forget to show excellence. So if you get the upper hand, you're going to slaughter the person. Don't, you know, uh, relish in the joy of torturing the person. Rather, just get the job done, right? So, subhanAllah, this is, you know, if you can remember Ihsan at that time, then how much more will you remember Ihsan for your whole life, inshallah? I mean, obviously, you're not going to be excellent towards your enemy. And then you go home and you're rough with your children. That doesn't, how? It doesn't even make sense. So, subhanAllah, this is so important that when we think about everybody that falls under that, which is pretty much everyone, you know, even the disbeliever, when you want to give da'wah, you do it in the most excellent of ways, with the most wisdom. Say the nicest words, make dua for them even when you're alone. SubhanAllah. Uh, And and also do ihsan by taking pride in your work, you know. And with whatever you do, always try to do ihsan. If you're going to do it for the worst of people, then it should be in every little thing. And we know that, subhanAllah, you can make your life, uh, you know, quote-unquote, a living hell if you cut corners all the time. If you never clean up after yourself, if you're always cutting corners when it comes to your studies and taking notes and, you know, cleaning up around the house, and, and whatever the case is, you're always cutting corners with your family members and friends, you will find that slowly but surely everything will deteriorate. But if you do the opposite, if you try to do ihsan in every little thing, every time you go to the bathroom and you're washing up and you see, I don't know, little things around the sink, clean them up, clean them up. When you're washing the dishes, wash them extra good. When you're cleaning up around the house, when you're walking through the hallway and you see something's dirty on the side, don't say, oh, somebody else will pick that up. Let me pick that up, right? Whatever the case is, you leave your clothes on the floor, you can, no, let me get, grab that, put that in the hamper. If you do these little extra things, say something nice, make a little compliment, try to do ihsan in whatever you do, subhanAllah, you will find that your life will become so much better. You'll find that subhanAllah, people love to be around you and everything is just more positive in your life. Why? Because you take pride in your work. And I can honestly say that subhanAllah, you know, it made me so sad you know certain countries you go to them and you see that they don't have certain basics like for instance just this, this, this you know coming from the western world i guess certain things you take for granted one thing that i took for granted a lot and it blew me away that it doesn't exist in other countries and it really showed me and broke my heart to see that you know people don't have certain basic practices is lining up and forming a queue you know when 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 waiting for something that to me you know being somebody who was always you know, raised in, in, in Canada and then living in the US and always being in North America it was so common sense that you know, whenever you're grabbing, getting something let's say in a, in, 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 you're waiting for, in a line for anything everybody just naturally is trained to, to go in the queue and create some sort of order and when you go to other countries and you see that people are just rushing and just pushing all the time and it just it makes you so angry and you're like subhanAllah, you know, there's no ihsan why can't you just, for the, even the smallest thing you know, it turns into a fight, it gets everybody stressed out, and we're literally acting like animals. And, it, it, I mean, to me, that was really an eye-opening moment. And it made me very angry. And subhanAllah, uh, you know, I started yelling at everybody, and it got recorded. <laughs> it went up on a... Uh, anyway, whatever, it was a whole story. I'll tell you guys another time, inshallah. Let me, let me stick to the point. But anyway, this is, this is, I think, something that we as believers, we need to try to put ihsan in whatever we do. You know, uh, you know there's so much... Uh, organization in Nizam, you know, in, in Islam? Why is it that we line up in the prayer? Why is it that we are, you know, normally short, shoulder to shoulder? You know, it doesn't make much sense to come in here and be in complete beautiful order and have so much Ihsan in the line, meanwhile your car was parked crooked and you threw your shoes and they're all lying on the floor. You, you didn't really get the point, did you? You didn't learn the lesson from the Salah. If you learn the lesson from the Salah, which is the beautiful order and the structure, then, when you're parking your car, you're going to do so with Ihsan. When you're putting your shoes, you're going to put your shoes with Ihsan. Everything you're going to do, you're going to do with Ihsan. Because the salah has an application or uh, has an effect on you. And so, subhanAllah, this is how we should uh, you know, treat the masjid, how we should treat our homes, and so on and so forth. Then the question comes, if a person murders another person in a very specific way, in a torturous way. Like, let's say, for example, before killing them, they broke all of their fingers, or they chopped off their hands or legs or whatever, something disgusting. Is the murderer to be killed in the same manner, in a torturous manner? Or are they to be executed uh, in the the swiftest, most painless manner, just hit to the neck and uh, execution in the quick style? So there's two opinions on this matter. Imam, uh, Imam Malik and Imam Shafi'i they say, no, you execute the individual in the manner that they executed the person so if they did something horrible, then they get that horrible thing done to them and the evidence of this is in Sahih Muslim there's a hadith in which, it's a lengthy hadith, I'm just going to summarize that the Prophet Sallallahu uh, there was a case in, in Medina where a man he struck a young girl in the head with a rock to steal her uh, jewelry and the young girl was passing away and they were asking her, you know, who did this? And, and so finally, through, you know, she was, she was on her last moments, she was in her last moments, and she was able to identify the killer. And so the Prophet ﷺ had that man killed in a similar manner, with uh, being, his head being crushed with a rock, with a stone. So this is evidence, and there's other evidence as well, uh, but this is just one, but there's several and, uh, evidences to prove that if you do something horrible, then it's going to be done back to you as a deterrent and as a lesson that if you do this, that's what's going to happen. Uh, they're not going to get off easy, uh, so to speak. The other opinion is, no, that you kill them in the quickest way possible. This is the position of Abu Hanifa and uh, Abu Thawr. And then Imam Ahmad, he has a sort of reconciling view between all these positions. He says that the murderer is to be killed in the same manner that he killed their victim, with the exceptions that are found in the sunnah of the Prophet So there are certain exceptions, for instance, the Prophet wasallam says, an nari illa For example, the Prophet says, Nobody should punish with fire except for the Lord of Fire. In other words, you can't burn people alive. So Imam Ahmed says, if they, do, if they kill somebody in some horrific manner, then you do what they did to, uh, to that person, if it's provable, obviously, in court. If you can prove it in court, then they get exactly what they deserve. But Imam Ahmed says there's certain exceptions, exceptions in hadith, and so we don't touch those. That's his recon- so, uh, reconciliatory uh, perspective, and Allah knows best. Another question comes up, which is, what about stoning to death? We know that this is something that's part of our deen, and that is clearly not the quickest manner. It's actually very slow and painful, subhanAllah. And so what is the, how do we reconcile these two? And so our response to that is that Ihsan in this case, for example, the one who was married, uh, 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 who committed zina and did so publicly because there was four uh, witnesses and that's not just like people on top of each other. We're talking about the actual, like it's a public event, essentially. So this is really beyond the pale. And such an action, subhanAllah, is uh, yes, that this person is to be uh, stoned to death. And the wisdom, bah- and, and so, and that is Ihsan. That is Ihsan in this particular case The wisdom behind stoning a person in that particular case is that it's to teach a lesson that the body was too addicted to enjoying lustful pleasures and therefore such a forbidden act is uh, punished with the harshest uh, the pain of the stones punishing that exact same body that they could not control Another question that comes in is Do we pray the funeral prayer for the Muslim who did some sort of a capital punishment uh, uh, such as uh, adultery or murder? Uh, and the answer is yes, they are still a believer Even if they did zina while being previously married And even if they committed murder to another Muslim They are still, you still pray Salat uh, al-janaza uh, upon them And we, we hope for the best um, There's a very important lesson here That uh, I remember hearing uh, in, in. I think it was in World War I and Two. I, I remember hearing about how the certain, certain armies What they would do is They would uh, put landmines That weren't powerful enough to kill the person they were just strong enough to uh, maim the person, just take off a leg. And so the question is, why not just kill the guy, right? If you have the technology to make it stronger, why not? And the idea was that, well, actually, if you blow a person's leg off, then they become a problem for the army. Now the army has to take care of them and, like, you know, the medical equipment and the person's screaming and it traumatizes everybody else. If they were to just blow up and be completely gone, then, well, the problem's solved, the person's gone, right? So if, to make a bigger problem for the army... They would use explosives that would take off a leg, or take off an arm, or take off whatever, but not kill the person. So this was actually a tactic in war. And so, Wallahu ta'ala it seems that this is not permissible in Islam. Muslims would not do something like this. The exception, however, is if the enemy is using this against us, and is using our sharia against us, and therefore getting the upper hand. Classic example is if they uh, uh, use, uh, for instance, uh, uh, human shields. Right, so let's say they capture a bunch of Muslims and they put them in, like you know, they put one child in each tank, and they start driving into the Muslim city with their tanks and say, "Hey, you can't shoot us because we have kids, we have your kids in our tanks." Uh, Hey, you can't, or or, you know, the example of uh, the the tribe that uh, you know the Prophet started burning their trees. Right, this was a famous uh, incident uh, am, I, am, I, am I right about that? I think I'm right about that uh, And so they were the ones who they stayed in their fortress The Prophet started burning one tree after another And they said, hey, I thought you don't burn trees He goes, yeah, well, we're not going to fight you Against this big uh, fortified uh, You know, uh, castle and fortress And keep losing men and dying If we could just burn one tree, burn two trees And then eventually they say, listen, if we let him continue then there, it's all of our livelihoods gonna be gone. So they surrendered. And so even though he only ended up burning very few trees, the fact of the matter is that if you're gonna use our sharia against us, then we are going to break our own rules. So you can't you can't basically use our decency against us to beat us. That's not going to be allowed, and Allah knows best. So the next part of the hadith is uh, so we talked about fighting of the enemy Now we're moving on to the animals Now this is subhanAllah very very beautiful Because there are many hadith in this regard For example, a very similar hadith is The Prophet ﷺ says من ولو ذبيحة رحمه الله يوم القيامة. Whoever is merciful even to the animal that they're going to slaughter, then Allah is going to be merciful to them on Yom Al Qiyama. And this truly, I mean, I'm going to go through several ahadith here. All of them are such a beautiful example of how the Prophet says the Prophet is exactly what Allah described him to be. You are a mercy to everything. All the, the, everything in the universe is, 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 re, is a recipient of the mercy due to the teachings and the sunnah of the Prophet a, including the animals So these are sunnah that we want to apply in our lives Let's take a look at a few For instance, we know that when the Prophet was on a journey he once left the Jama'ah for a portion of time in order to relieve himself and then when he was on his way back he saw that some of the Sahaba they had t- taken two sm- small young birds from a mother bird and then the mother was panicking and flapping the wings and, and you know clearly uh, distressed so the Prophet asked, "Men Who aggrieved uh, this animal, this, this bird, by taking the young ones? waladaha ilayha, Return the baby birds to the mother And so that's exactly what they did So even making a bird stressed out by taking the baby chicks Just because you think, oh they're cute and I want to hold on to them No, don't do that, don't punish uh, the mother uh, bird by doing so This goes to show the mercy of the Prophet the Prophet ﷺ says, Don't take anything that has a life in it, that has a ruh in it, as target practice. And there's a further hadith, Ibn uh, Abdullah ibn Umar, uh, uh, رضي الله تعالى عنه, he once saw some people that had tied up a bird, and that, you know, it was bouncing around and it was still stuck to a string, so it couldn't really get away, and they were using it as target, target practice to see who could hit it, and as he walked by them, he mentioned that this is uh, you know, cursed behavior, and then he said, إِنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ, الله شَيئًا فيه الروح uh, that the Prophet ﷺ cursed anybody who used something that has a, a, a life and a soul in it, used it as target practice. That this is a cursed behavior. So, subhanAllah, this is showing the mercy. That Umar ibn al Khattab, uh, he once had a man beaten publicly. Why? Because he would overbear the camel and he would abuse his animals. So, this person was uh, beaten. We know that the Prophet once a man came to the Prophet and said, O Messenger of Allah, uh, 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 I'm, I, I was going to slaughter this sheep, but then I felt sorry for it. I had mercy on this sheep. And the Prophet said, uh, مرتين, He said it twice. He said, What? Since you showed mercy to the sheep, Allah is going to show you mercy. The guy was going to slaughter. You want to show mercy? Allah is going to show you mercy. So it be, whether it be a sheep, whether it be whatever you're going to slaughter, a camel, whether it be a bird, subhanAllah, so many ahadith in this. There's, oh, time and time again. Now, I want to mention something very, very crucial about this. We probably think to ourselves, yeah, I mean whenever I go to the farm, you know, I, you know, I see the, the animals, I feed them a little bit, I pet them, I'm nice to animals too. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing, these people were living with animals every day. These people were using their animals for transportation every day. They were using it for uh, buying and selling, that was their tijado. that was their uh, trade, that was their currency, right? So this is what they were using to move loads every day You know, they didn't have trunk space and cars and so on and so forth No, they were using animals So when you use animals every single day for work purposes Eventually you don't see them as something to be sweet to And it has a name and I love it and this and that No, you see it as just a commodity Just something to use and to move on with, right? Especially when you have like big flocks of hundreds or whatever the case is, right? So subhanAllah, think of it from that perspective Showing mercy to your currency Showing mercy to the thing that you have to work with every day Showing mercy to your transportation This is going to be applicable in every moment of every day, subhanAllah. There are uh, the famous narration which the Prophet mentions that there was a man who became extremely thirsty. He went down into a well, got some water, came back up and he saw a dog, was also thirsty. This is also narrated with a prostitute of Bani Israel. Wallahu ta'ala I'm sure there are many different cases of this, probably even more than just two. Once it was a man, another time it was a, a prostitute. Uh, maybe there's many, many, I mean, people get thirsty a lot, right? So subhanAllah, uh, it could be different instances. And the point is what? That this person went down into the well a second time, got some water and came up and gave it to a dog. Uh, فَسَقَى al فَشَكَرَ So he gave water to the dog. And Allah appreciated it له, And then Allah forgave him And then قالوا the Sahaba They asked Ya Rasulullah. فَإِنَّ لَنَا فِي هَذِهِ الْبَهَائِمْ we, we get ajr for, for the way we deal with these animals Are you serious? Like it was such a revolutionary thought Nobody was thinking like this at that time قال, In everything that is living it means every moist liver But anyway it's, it's an expression that means Everything that is living there is Ajr in it, the way you treat it. That there's also the famous narration in which the Prophet says, What? A woman was entered into the fire because she tied up a cat and did not let it you know, fight for itself to you know, hunt and did not also feed it. And therefore, it died. And so, by starving it to death, this woman was entered into the fire. She was punished by Allah Ta'ala for this. Now, how does this apply to us? Wallah Ta'ala, but think about when you, uh, let's say, have a mouse trap. And it doesn't kill the mouse, it just traps them in such a way where they starve to death. Wallahu Ta'ala, this can be something that is highly punished, so we ask Allah Ta'ala for forgiveness if we've done this, and we try to avoid anything that's going to treat any animal in such a way where they will live a, a, a slow death in, in a painful way. A few more ahadith on this subject. Um, that the Prophet once came across a, a camel and saw that it started when the when the camel saw the Prophet, it started to tear up. The Prophet went to the camel and started petting it and said and asked, Men al ibn, al jamal? لِمَنْ هَذَا الْجَمَلِ Whose animal is this? Whose who's camel is this? And then uh, So a young man came in al-ansar From the, from the ansar And he says "Li ya It's mine إِيَّهِ Aren't you going to fear Allah Regarding this animal Which Allah has given, has given you possession over it Allah the one who gave you possession over this animal Won't you fear Allah? it فَإِنَّهُ to إِلَيَّ uh, that you, uh, over, you uh, overload it and you fatigue it. Subhanallah. That even this animal is crying and complaining to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and that Subhanallah, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is showing mercy to this animal. Listen to this hadith: بوا... uh, Beware of treating the backs of your beasts like pulpits. You know, people, like, how we like to go on a nice ride and walk around. Don't do that. Don't ride like. And then the Prophet goes on to say what? For Allah has made them sub- subjected to you only to convey you from one town to another which you cannot reach without any sort of difficulty on yourself. So basically for necessity. It's because you can't go from one town to another without hurting yourself unless you have an animal with you. So that's why Allah subjected it for you. And that's why Allah... Uh, uh, إلا, إلا بشقل, uh, and Allah gave you this earth. So what? Try to walk on the earth as much as you can except for out of necessity. Allah has subjugated this earth to you. So, uh, and he has a point, uh, and, uh, uh, and so conduct your business on it. So in other words, this hadith is saying, look, yes, you can use animals, but out of necessity. Don't just ride on the backs of animals to show off and to look good and to be above other people. Why? Not for the sake of kibr, even though that's a factor, for the sake of the animal. SubhanAllah, give the animal a break. If you don't need to use the animal, don't. SubhanAllah. That type of thinking, at that time, subhanAllah, not even something that we could imagine or consider So subhanAllah, nowadays we don't ride around with animals as much but we definitely are abusing uh, nature in such a way uh, indirectly by uh, uh, you know, overusing natural resources I remember one time I was in class uh, and uh, I asked the question. I said, yeah, Sheikh, when does it become haram to drive a car? Uh, you know, how bad does how bad does the environment have to get until we have to stop driving cars?" And I just remember hearing from the sister side. A, there was a barrier, but I could hear from the sister side. Oh my God, <laughs> she had never she had never thought of that concept before. That you know, you know, you know, the, the, the Earth is getting worse and worse, right? So how how long until there's a the fatwa that says like you have to stop? And we don't really have an answer to that question. It's it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a you know it's a, it's a new issue. Right? But it's just something to think about. Like, how, how much can we push this until it's just like, look, you can't do this anymore? It's haram. It's haram to drive a car. Allah Alam. But anyway, nowadays we have the electric car, so inshallah, hopefully we'll figure it all out. <laughs> the Prophet says what? Ittaqullaha fi hadithil baha'im al mu'jama. That fear Allah regarding these mute animals. He described them as mute. In other words, just because they can't, they can't describe, hey, this hurts, that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. They, they can't speak, but that doesn't mean they, can't, they, don't, they don't feel anything. Farkabuha wa kuluha salihatan. Then ride them and feed them in a beautiful way. So we should really be also very fearful of using animals for cosmetics I mean naturally you have to use them for, let's say, testing drugs, right? Because you're not going to test it on humans Okay, perhaps that is necessary But cosmetics is not necessary And this is something that we do when we abuse animals in a big way I want to also mention, just a uh, last few quick points that uh, uh, subhanAllah there's an interesting article called "Meat in America," considering the production process, and it's very interesting that they set they, they hooked up animals, uh, the, the the brains of animals uh, to um, EEG, which electro uh, encephalograph. There, I said it right, I think Electroencephalograph, EEG Anyway, it's something that basically monitors the, the brain activity uh, And so they, they hooked it up to different animals And they were to check what's better as a method of uh, killing an animal Is it to use the stunning or is it to use uh, the slaughtering And subhanAllah, what they found was that when you slaughter and cut the throat um, Oh, and by the way, if anybody who has done this Make sure you don't go I, I, The first time I did this, I went low and I remember there was a bunch of the guys that were like, they worked there, they, were, oh! they all stopped me, I was like, what happened, what did I do? They're like, you go to the top, right here, this is like, it's like butter, just slips, so if, you make, if you make it really sharp, you don't go from the bottom, you go right where the, where the jawline is, if you go to the top, it's really smooth, really fast, especially if you make it sharp. Anyway, so if you slaughter properly, inshallah ta'ala, um, apparently what happens in the brain is that for the first three seconds, the EEG re- doesn't record any change in pain. So it barely even registers it for the first three seconds. The, the, the animal's just like normal. Because I guess it's uh, maybe shock, you know, you, you know even, even us, you know, you get hit and then sometimes you kind of don't really realize what happened and then the pain kicks in, right, it takes a few seconds to, for it to really happen. So, voila, Adam, maybe there's just that moment where for the first three seconds it doesn't feel anything. In the next three seconds, the EEG recorded that the animal goes into a similar state as deep sleep, like deep unconscious sleep. Why? Because before the pain can kick in, The blood rushes out of the head so fast that it basically gets knocked out due to blood loss. And that's why it's very important to hit both arteries. And we're going to talk about that in a second. And then after that, it it records no sensation at all. Basically, the animal's dead. So subhanAllah, if you do it properly, if you lead the animal to an area where, you know, you can make it calm and you don't see any other slaughter... This is unfortunately, you see in slaughterhouses, they do it in front of the other animals. And then there's just a pool of blood and they bring them inside the pool of blood and they're all kicking around. This is not right. You shouldn't do it that way. You should do it in a way where try to, you know, they don't see the knife they don't see any sort of slaughter, you lie them down, you try to make sure that they're calm and then they never even see it and then before they can feel it, the head is empty and they've been knocked out. Now, compare that to the stunning method, which apparently the the animal appears motionless, right? And so you think to yourself that, oh, therefore this must be more painless. However, the EEG shows that the animal is actually in a lot more severe pain right after the stunning and also the stunning causes the heart to stop early which causes the blood to stay inside the body and coagulate and so on and so forth which makes the, the blood dirty. This is one of the most beautiful and amazing things that you slit the throat the body keeps kicking and even though the body is asleep it's, 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 the, the, the heart keeps pumping and the, and the legs keep kicking and you see the two little it's like two little squirt guns and they keep on shooting out.